0: Welcome all of you risk takers and thank you for another episode of Life, the Butterfield Podcast. And today I have a special guest. His name is Michael Ray. And today we're going to talk about something which usually it's everything's been hidden from the public and we don't talk so much about fatherhood. Um, I'd like to say thank you, Michael, for being my guest today. And before we continue, feel free to subscribe, share and comment and i'll leave the details below how you can contact michael and how can michael help can assist you and help you so michael thank you for the into podcast live the battlefield
1: yeah you're welcome mario thanks so much for the opportunity Uh, you
0: know it's it's us like i want to just tell the, the the listeners and viewers um Michael Ray, he gave me opportunity, you know, several months ago to appear on his show and uh, interviewing somebody of his profile for my podcast, it is really, I'm becoming a little bit nervous. But let me just read a quick bio about Michael Ray from his book, which you are going to talk as well a little bit later. Michael Ray, well-known Australian presenter, speaker, podcaster, and advocate for equality. Michael Ray. Michael Ray offers parents and caregivers a compassionately, raw, honest, and often humorous take on parenting as he sees it. His book, um, Who Knew?, is packed with raw emotions as a Michael would empower both genders to take responsibility for their children. Michael dispels many myths about fatherhood, indicating. I read this from the back of the, uh, his book, Who Knew? So Michael again, who is the Michael Ray?
1: Oh, Mario, Michael Ray was a, a typical Aussie bloke, grew up in a heteronormative yeah. family. Mum ran the house, dad worked hard, yes. um, it all worked beautifully for him. They were married th- their entire lives until uh, dad passed. Mum didn't even have a, her licence until my dad had a stroke later in life because dad would do yeah. everything outside of the house. So, you know, mum raised three kids. Two of them turned out okay. One of them's a a bit bit dodgy. But, um, yeah, it couldn't have been more of a blokey bloke. I grew up in a hyper-masculine world as a a bodyguard, bouncer, and uh, elite-level strength and conditioning coach, where it was, you know, if, if one bloke could drink 10 beers, I had to drink 12. And if one bloke could fight 10 blokes, I had to fight 12. And just all of the ridiculous things now that I look back, and realized it was just um, stories that I was telling myself about who I needed to be rather than who I actually was and that desperation oh, to belong.
0: Takes courage. Look, takes courage to, to admit these things, you know, particularly when you're a very well-known person as yourself. And we're living in a world where everybody's being awarded when comes out and says, you know, I was a drug addict, you know, I killed the people, I was doing this, this, and this, and then media jump on that person and, like, it uh, turn into the hero, but the true heroes. people like yourself i like to start with uh, your first chapter of your book who knew i'm encouraging everybody going to leave the link below uh grab this copy of this book i i have no doubt you're going to be blown away impressed and you're going to ask for more so michael my question is about murphy law and this is your chapter starts and your chapter actually depicting uh what you exactly said so if everything could go wrong everything was going wrong. So your first chapter says that you are going through very traumatic experience in your life and you took the car and gone driving and then have a car accident and many other things happened to you. Do you mind to share with our viewers and listeners how did you def- define how did you define that <laughs> uh, Murphy Law? I apologize for laughing but you know like I'm seeing you you're healthy now and, and here in front of me about reading the book like uh, trust me I I, I I couldn't I couldn't hold my tears, you know, honestly. So you know, feel, yeah. Murphy Law and Michael Ray.
1: I became a dad at at forty nine years old, it, it, completely by surprise. I, I thought it had passed me by after a, a short term relationship. Suddenly, you know, the world the world changed. I had to uh, readjust myself. But then, six months after uh, my daughter was born, the the relationship fell apart. For for whatever reason. So there I was thinking I had it all. Suddenly Mm -hmm. it had gone. I've been extremely tired working 80 hours a week because um, my partner had a few other children from a previous relationship. So again, my example was to work hard, work 80 hours a week to try and provide. And I was extremely tired and just kept, no, 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 I've I've got to work. It's not about me anymore. It's about the family because that's how... the example i saw from my dad he did everything for the family then when we broke up uh, i was pretty gutted didn't get to see my daughter for a, for a few weeks and uh left the the family home was back staying at my mum's and uh, decided to go out for a, a bit of a drink which went a for of, a, few a little days. bit, drink, little
0: bit drink, right
1: yeah, yeah back in the day it was So it lasted a few days and then uh, woke up at somebody's house and decided uh, I think I'm sober enough to drive home. And on the way home, uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I had an accident. Hit a tree, swerved to miss a dog. Was fine, but the ambulance turned up. A little bit of blood in the ear because I had the window down. I had just cut my ear, but the airbags didn't go off, no biggie. And so the ambulance said, we just want to take you in to scan your neck. Yes. just to make sure so i said yes. okay scanned me from the neck up came out a little while later said we want to p- put you back through from the waist up no biggie back in i waited till about four o'clock in the morning i thought oh i'm done i'm just going home i'm hung over i've had enough got a taxi back home without seeing the doctor about an hour after that all of a sudden my mum's banging on the door <laughs> the ambulance is on the way you've got to go straight back to hospital get back to hospital and uh they admit me straight in and the doctor goes through he says right well you've got bilateral pulmonary embolisms your lungs are full of blood if they move you're gone and the uh, oncologist will be through after that to speak to you about a plan and i said the oncologist yeah. i don't have a vagina what do i need to see an oncologist for <laughs> <laughs> your human yeah he laughed and he said no didn't they tell you last night and i said well I got up and went home he said well I suppose it's a good way you've got some masses on your brain you've got a couple of uh, nodules in your lungs and you've got some lymph nodes that need to be investigated my sister had to leave the room when the doctor came in because she took me back into hospital rather than waste an ambulance and uh, when she came back into the room she said are you all right and Mario it was like I'd been punched in the guts like the wind had been knocked out of me and um, as I describe in the book, suddenly it was like the house I'd built and furnished my entire life. Suddenly there were flames leaping through the roof and smoke billing out the windows. And I'm standing there in front of this house thinking, what do I rush back in to save? What's in that life, what's in that house that is worth me risking my life to go back in? And the only thing I could think of was the impact this was going to have on my daughter, on my mother on my sister nothing else mattered and that's why i said this, this um you know it, it's a gift of clarity through crisis this crisis suddenly all of the stuff that i thought was important all of the stuff that i thought that mattered none of it mattered in that instant mario and that that's i i call it a gift and a lot of the times it takes us to look into that abyss you know, sadly, it takes that crisis for a lot of us to come to that realization that, gee, you know, it's not about the car, it's not about the house, it's not about the job or the title or other people's opinions of us. It's about our impact on those that we love, and yeah. what what our choices could bring on them. And uh, I live my life like that. It, it's the greatest gift I've had is that crisis, money
0: Well, you know, the my next question was actually. You know, as if we agreed on on a concept, it was literally the courage and the fire, and being in position as you were, you know, a couple of drinks extra, a couple of days awake, have a small car accident, but that small car accident actually revealed a potential um, life-threatening condition, medical, right? And uh, it it is it is absolutely, you know, makes you your life. You question everything, right? You question your existence, your, your friends and everything else. So what's happened after that? You know, obviously, you know, your daughter was at home. And you know, my question is uh, courage on the fire. That is my question, actually. You know, how did you prevail, you know, with medical conditions? And then, you know, obviously your daughter and uh, your partner leaving you.
1: Mario, I was scared yeah. to death. Like I said, as a former bodyguard, I've I've actually been shot, I've been stabbed, and yeah. I've never been so scared of, at any time in my life. And it was scared about whether my daughter would actually remember me at that stage. She was six and a half months old, and I had one of the biggest fears was she would have no concept because it was a fairly acrimonious uh, split. Um, even during the yes. time. With the diagnosis i remember in court uh, one of the arguments was well there's no use the daughter spending any time with the father because he may not be around so it's no use her getting attached um and some of those things were just it was another dagger to the heart um the treatment scared me i didn't know if i could uh, endure the treatment but then you know and yeah. then it was what was i going through the treatment for if i'm not going to get to see my daughter and then. It was my parent, and it was all this yes. stuff weighing down on me, and it, it nearly crushed me. I like went to some dark places, and, um, you know, it was horrible. And I remember saying to the nurses one day uh, as I was getting hooked up for a treatment, and, um, you know, all those dreams of Disneyland and things like yeah. that, and this nurse said to me, I'm sure one day you'll get to Disneyland with your daughter. And... Mario, the way the funny things, the way they work is people from Disney actually reached out and said, we want to do a story on you. This is after the ballet school incident, and they offered us tickets to any Disneyland in the world. So we went to Hong Kong Disneyland. The day we walked into Disneyland, I was in tears. My daughter didn't know. (laughs) I was going, still makes me, uh, here now I was getting hugs from complete strangers because it was... It wasn't until that point, point, it was probably uh, five years later, my daughter was five and a bit, where suddenly it felt like I was through it, that uh, I was able to move forward. Yeah. So as far as bravery goes, Mario, I was the scaredest I'd ever been in my life.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking to Michael Ray, the author of the book, Who Knew? I'm going to leave the link below, and I'm um, I mean, truly employing you to... Uh, read this book because as you can sense it in this interview and I never had a in- chance to interview somebody who is highly skilled and professional in in this job and now talking honest, raw conversation with the father, not with just the micro Ray Who is on TVs and and the newspapers, but the father itself and most importantly We always forgetting what a life it is about and uh, one event changing Michael Viona live entirely. So book, who knew, please just go below and check the, the link and contact Michael as well. So Michael, your book is actually going around this incident in ballet, uh, around the ballet. Do you mind to guide us through this? What it happened? Why this, why this event was actually the breaking point for you as a father?
1: Mario, I just wanted to spend as much time with my daughter as well because still living a little bit in fear that this could come back. So six monthly scans after the treatment's finished, clear, clear, but it's still waiting for that shoe to drop, you know, might the next scan bring it. So I just wanted to maximise my time with my daughter. So I didn't go back to uh, full-time work. I crammed everything into three days and maximised my time with my daughter downsized everything got rid of mortgages and just thought you know what i'm not going to worry about the future i'm going to worry about yes. today so one of the things we did was we enrolled in ballet school for my daughter um you know daughter loved jumping about with her mates doing yes. plies and jetos and yes. all the other fancy french words for jumping about yes. with your mates and you know if you can think of anything cuter than a room full of little ballerinas it's just great and i was always the uh, you know, the only bloke there, but in tears. And so the other mums used to tease me a lot about, oh, you know, Dad's having a sook again. It's yeah. <laughs> that's fine, I'm okay with it. I've become emotionally incontinent since I've had this kid. So the first 50 years of my life, don't cry at any... Like, just don't. And now, a toilet paper commercial will make me, make me cry. So anyway, we get through the ballet, we get to the end-of-the-year concert, and suddenly the... Um, Stuff comes out for the concert, the information, and it's all the way through. Mothers are expected to be available for the full three hours of dress rehearsal. Mothers need to ensure the ballet bun is done yes. this way. Mothers need to ensure the lipstick is this shade. There's a special Mummy and Me uh, ticket okay. deal. And right at the bottom it's got... And, of course, there are no males allowed in the backstage area. <laughs> well, Murray, I'm, I'm used to... Um, replacing mum for dad you know reading to my daughter you know all of the kids books in fact there's a study recently that said 160 of the most popular kids books dads were either invisible or not not a main character So, always replacing mum with dad or parent so I thought it's just one of those mistakes so then at the um, pre-concert meeting I put my hand up well I'm a dad I you know have to be backstage and they said well No, you can't be. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, it's a child protection issue. And I said, well, hang on. I've got my working with children check. I was a swim teacher for 18 years. I'm trusted with other people's children. Oh, you need to understand it's not about you. It's about the other little children. I said, well, hang on. Firstly, if it's a child protection issue, one, I've got my working with children check, so I'm trusted with other people's children. But two... So what you're saying is my daughter will be the only child backstage without the protection of a parent. So I I don't see how that's fair. But more importantly, it's not about me. It's about my daughter being made to feel different. She can't look around that room backstage and go, with a parent, with a parent, with a parent, with a parent, and here I am on my own. And at this stage, Mario, we were going through the marriage equality debate. And so... You know, we were going to have two mums, two dads, or every combination you could think of. And this was meant to oh, be... a no single dad. You know, no single The dad. liberal right. art, No single dad. Okay. Yeah. No single dads. Luckily, one of the mums knew a journalist, Susie O'Brien from the Herald Sun, and she said, and all of the mums were on my side, they said, we don't have a problem with it. And then, you know... At this stage, Charlie was still next to me and she was getting upset. Dad, can't you come to the concert? And I've gone, no, Bubba, it's fine. We'll talk about it on the way home. One of the mums said to me, I'm going to contact Susie. This is just wrong. And they also threatened a boycott. If you're not allowed backstage, we're not going to do it. So then it it struck me, gee, (laughs) we talk about women's equality and there is no way in the world that this can ever happen unless men are enabled, encouraged, and expected to be equally responsible for raising the next generation. I asked friends, you know, am I being silly? Is it just me? Am I too close to the problem to actually understand their point of view? And everyone was on my side. So Susie O'Brien rang them for mm-hmm. a, a comment. They did a no-comment interview. She put the uh, story up. Suddenly, I was contacted by all of the morning shows, BBC in London, and it just went nuts. Well, the school had said we could have a private meeting to try and come yes. up with something. It was fair to say, Mario, when I walked in for that meeting, after all the media, it was a little bit sort of, <laughs> uh, and yeah. They said, we're not, you know, we we don't appreciate all the media stuff. And I said, um, you know what, you, you should do my suggestion would be to say, because of the wonderful diversity of contemporary families and because of this outdated rubbish, we're so happy that we can facilitate this and throw off the old way of doing things and welcome families in all of the diversity in. And you could be heroes out of this. But they stood their ground and said, no, 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 until I went to the uh, anti-discrimination and sexual discrimination commissioner and they rang them and said, it's against the law. You've got to let them in. So that that's what started me down the path of becoming an equality yes. advocate, Mario, because all of these yes. things, any speed bump, any friction, any hurdle that dad's hit, guess who ends up carrying the carrying load? Mums. It's, it's that simple. If dads aren't enabled or expected, guess who carries it? And that's where we're at, because while the majority of uh, equality initiatives were originally intended to support um, working yes. mums, they've actually exacerbated the problem because the expectation is, well, mum can work and care. You know, we have the Workplace Gender Equality a- uh, Agency in Australia that says that 70% of workplaces have a flexible work policy in place, but only 2%, 2% have targets for men's involvement in that flexible work so you can have the most egalitarian relationship equal dad wants to be involved children show up okay mum's workplace is in the 70 percent that do have the policy dad is in the 98 percent that don't what happens it's it's you don't have to be einstein to figure out what's going to happen so we talk about quotas for women in leadership yep We've got to go, right, 50% women at the top. What about quotas for men in parental leave? What about quotas for men in flexible work? Because I speak to men, and I know that I have a a skewed world because of the space I work in, but I speak to so many men that are living lives of quiet desperation, wanting nothing more, nothing more, to be more actively involved, engaged, and present in their kid's life but they can't. It's not that they don't want to, it's that they physically can't because the workplace is either uh, shaping or even dictating the roles and dynamics in the family. It's that, you know, we don't have change tables in male toilets, Mario. We've yes. gone back. That is correct. We've retrofitted correct. syringe disposals in every toilet, but not change tables. So is the inference that men are more likely to be drug users or diabetics, than need to change a nappy. It's just you know, madness. And that's why I say, Dads, I love you all and I'm not falling all over myself just because you're parenting. But, you know, we need to promote dads a little bit to get them on because until fatherhood is spoken about in the same glowing terms as motherhood and until men are recognised for the ability to raise and nurture the next generation, as much as their ability to to provide resources, their position, power and possessions, we're going to be stuck with this. And there are going to be boys and men that miss out on what life's actually about, mate. You're a dad. How much did your life and your perspective on the world change when Mateo yeah, yeah, look, came it's, into the
0: it's, world? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, first I become softy, of course. You know, I mean, that was the number one. And that protective protective instinct in me and everything else. But one thing while you're talking, right, and just thinking right now, yeah, well, Michael is absolutely right. There is no male changing room for the babies. It's only like that—that that, uh, you know, general space where you share with the females and everything else. And truth it is, I considering now to actually check these legislations because uh, I don't know what's happened with the fathers. You know, I mean, in this instance, like yourself, the the parental leave, you know, and the access to the children and everything else. So, Michael, in hindsight, all of this. What did you achieve on those interviews? So like one event which you're being like literally banned to be with your daughter uh, resulted that media actually comes across and, you know, they write a story that people can hear it. What do you think about that point in time? How many fathers didn't know that they are allowed to be the kids or they can be with the kids instead of this, stuff, right?
1: Mara, the the funny thing was when it hit the media, the outpouring of uh, the same experience that men had gone through over and over and over again. Like yes. it happened to everyone and it came from women as well. It happened to my husband. Um, men are often um, challenged or even abused for using parents' rooms because we're yes. going because, you know, it, it's not a sacred space for women. And a lot of the time it's because women are breastfeeding and they have curtains in there. And Charlie and I got, got uh, abused once because the lady was breastfeeding. And I said, Well, there's a curtain there. If you're uncomfortable, there's a curtain. And then her response was, I shouldn't have to use a curtain. I said, I agree with you. You should be able to breastfeed wherever you want. But do you really think that I'm bringing my four year old daughter into a parent's room in the hope, in the hope of seeing someone breastfeeding? If you're uncomfortable, absolutely with not.
0: It, yeah, absolutely not. But, well, it's, it's, not, it's not normal to bring the, 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 your daughter in a male stall. You know, what I mean, that doesn't make a sense. That's wrong. You know, what I mean, but mm. you know, you don't expect it. Of course, I agree.
1: Yeah, but Mario, and the good thing is now a lot of men have been emboldened and encouraged to to uh, speak up. Overwhelmingly, the women supported me as well, and you know i receive trolling from as many women as what I do. Men, men telling me yes. that, you know, I'm I'm not masculine. You know, I've lost my testicles and all the rest yeah. of it. But I also get women saying, well, you'll never understand what it's like to be a mother because you didn't carry your daughter. And I agree with them. I say, look, I can't. And any man who sees their wife give birth and isn't in awe and admiration. And I was racked with guilt because it was like, how likely am I getting off on this compared to what my daughter's mum is going through? I I don't understand the mindset that isn't full of admiration. But the inference somehow that because, and I agree, I could never understand what a mother's um, connection and experience is like, but I don't understand the great certainty and clarity that they can speak to my experience the value and the worthiness of my love and connection with my daughter as a father so and they're not only saying that not only could i possibly never possibly feel a true love for my daughter but they're also saying step adoptive foster grandparents none of them could love a a child in a manner that's (laughs) of the same value as a mother but what they're also doing is they're putting more pressure on mothers to be this perfect mother. So, and women, because there are many women who have chosen not to have children for whatever reason that don't have the urge to be children. And they're saying that somehow, well, they are flawed as a woman. So, this mythical maternal instinct, there's a parental instinct, Mario, like you said.
0: It's a parental, yes, parental yep. instinct, yes.
1: Once, so, it, uh, once uh, it happens, it you change, change forever in, in the blink of an eye. But this maternal instinct, it does a great disservice to the hard work and learning curve that is parenting because maternal instinct implies that it's just instinctual as a woman you should just know it it's easy so all of those struggles with colic and croup and sleep deprivation and breastfeeding yes if you're not good at it not only are you flawed as a mum but you're not quite right as a woman is the inference there so we need to throw all that stuff out of the window. Women don't automatically know, and they shouldn't be expected to know what to do with a child. The same as dads. If a couple brings home a baby, the first baby, <laughs> uh, like I was so glad that uh, Charlie's mum had had three children prior. So. Yeah. I could lean on it. I could. What's meant to happen? Is this normal? Is a nappy really meant to look like that? Surely this kid <laughs> needs to go to the hospital after that. It's just, no, 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 calm down, it's fine. And, you know, we've just fallen in love with the Disney fetishized depictions of motherhood that says only a mother's love, mother's inst- maternal instinct, only, a, you know, mother knows best. It's not... Mother knows best. It's simply practice makes progress. The more time you do it, the longer you do it, the more experience you can start to exhale and calm down. You know, I even remember sleeping in the hallway or lying in the hallway watching television because I was scared I wouldn't hear my daughter cry out at one stage because I thought I had to be there straight away. And you relax after a while and you ease into the role and it's just brilliant.
0: Well... (laughs) I just, you know, just you are revoking my memories. I know what it means, you know, when you have this little bundle of joy, you know, you want that protective instinct inside of you. But it's not just about mothers, it's as well as the fathers. So my next question uh, for you, it is, Michael, the purpose. How much Charlie gave you the purpose to fight for your health?
1: Mario, it's uh, everything. I look back at my youth, um... And especially youth of excess yes. working in nightclubs and, uh, you know, especially in the 80s, I did security for basically every rock star that yeah. came through town and, um, you yes. know, it was a thing. And now every time I uh, I have a hiccup, it's like, oh, my goodness, I hope something that I've done in the past isn't coming back to, to get me now. So uh, my daughter and I train at the gym together. She actually holds an Australian record in powerlifting <laughs> Uh, 10 years old so, Charlie so does her, yeah. her dad so that um, thing about now it's both eyes on the task and the life at hand but vision firmly fixed on the future so you know it's don't miss anything now but don't be doing stuff now that's not going to uh, further the mission you know in your military yeah. uh, thing we can we can change the route to the goal but the goal is to live a a happy, long and connected life with my daughter, to be there. Because I'm 50 years older than her, Mario, and my next uh, goalpost, should she choose to have uh, children, is to get to do it again with grandkids.
0: Well, you're on a good track, Michael. And um, my question around this uh, parenting and everything else, uh, what do you believe or what do you know or... How many men approached you and they that you are aware that they are suffering in silence because of that non-inclusivity diversity that can't be approached or be with around the kids because they're just a male
1: Mara, lots and whenever i speak i speak to a lot of organizations about yes. trying to increase their uptake of parental leave we blokes here grow up when you look at the media depictions, the zeitgeist that we grow up in, when you look at the advertising, mum approved, mum's mum's support, mum's like this, then when you look at the depictions of fatherhood, and I challenge anyone listening to think of an example of a contemporary father, apart from Bluey who's only just showed up, where a dad yes. isn't depicted as a bumbling man-child or a buffoon. Look at Homer Simpson's, Al Bundy, even right back to the Flintstones. <laughs> yes. know, just everything about Dads is just a joke that can't be trusted with his own own child. And again, yes. a lot of that puts pressure back on women. Oh, you're kidding. You work full-time. Yes. Who looks after your kids? Well, Dad does. Oh, really? Is he okay with it? Um, Mario, because I can do a, a French braid or a plait, And I had to go and get lessons to do it because man buns, thankfully, weren't a thing when I was a youngster. Um, (laughs) But I went and had lessons to do it because I didn't want my daughter to be missing out. But when, you know, oh, mummy did her hair beautifully. Well, no, mum didn't. I did. You would think I'd cured cancer. It's just, that's why I say, I love a compliment as much as an exploit, probably more because I'm insecure. But some of it's patronising. You know, it's just oh, yes. you're a wonderful dad. Why? Oh, it's good to see you at the park with your child. Well, it's not about her. This is fun for <laughs> me. Like, you know, teaching her math. Uh, I'm not so not so keen on, but I do I yeah, it. Yes. But being at the park or the pool or all of that stuff, yes. it, it's not a chore. And the funny dichotomy we have when I hear oh, we make sacrifices for our children, I, I, I really. Dislike uh-huh. that because we yes. trade things. We we have trade offs. But unless you're a mug, yes. unless you're jacking the beanstalk and you know, you're trading yeah. magic beans that aren't magic beans, we yes. consider it. So could I be further along in my career? Could I earn more money? Yes. Am I prepared to give up that time with my daughter? No. It's not a sacrifice. No. It's a trade off. The things that women consider and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the things that women consider a sacrifice are the things that keep them with their children. So I've sacrificed my career. I had a a good education. I don't use my qualifications. My life now is just all about my child. And that's fine. Men, what they consider a sacrifice is what takes them away from their children. I sacrifice my time with children because I'm at work. I'm earning this, I'm earning that. Neither should happen. And that's where we need to get rid. And neither is more impactful from the other. It's the opposite side of the same coin. Where women should be able to have their career and you know their study and use those qualifications, and men shouldn't have to be all in at work. They should be able to say to the boss, uh, "Sorry, boss, I've got a sports day, uh, you know, a <laughs> concert, a doctor's appointment, yes. all of those things." Or you know, my wife. Is crook. My parents are crook. I need to be caring. Yes. You know, it's just no one wins. With I just, I just of enjoyed gender.
0: talking to you, Michael. And I mean, like, uh, you know, I just want to a little bit come back to the one crucial point in your life, you know, like that that when you kiss the tree with your car and discover the uh, medical emergency for, you know, for yourself and everything else. What if somebody comes to you and um, says, Michael, I have a cancer. I, I, I can't do nothing. I, you know, my life is over. I don't want to fight or nothing like this. What would you tell this person,
1: yeah. Mario? In the space I work in, in the last two years, yes, probably lost six fathers who have uh, chosen the saddest path of all that I got I to know that were struggling to see their kids, and. I'm a big fan of the Stoics. So, you know, start every day as though it was was your life. Realize that you're here temporarily. Um, You know, nothing stays the same. You know, Heraclitus, no man can step in the same river twice because the man isn't the same and neither is the river.
0: River, yeah.
1: So all this stuff, and that's why I say to guys, you know, the only thing that's guaranteed is this moment. So don't put off... It's like saving things for a special occasion. Every day is a special occasion. And especially with your kids. You know, your kids grow so quickly. And, you know, we've heard it... You know, only 14% of your child's waking hours from kindergarten through to year 12 are spent in school. So if you're not there... Who's influencing? Where are they getting their life lessons for? Where are their values? Where are their examples yeah. coming from? Because if you think schools should be doing that in that 14% of their waking hours when you should be around. Um, and another frightening statistic is 75% of the entire time you'll get to spend with your children is before they're 14 years old. 75%. So if you've got a small amount of time beforehand... I mean, yeah. It's even smaller afterwards. so you got
0: to make the most of it. i actually I, I agree with you that when Matteo is almost twenty years old and as you know, and you know to our listeners, my son, um and you know, I barely can see him actually, you know, I can actually barely see him because you know university, the you know uh, the girls the you know always need to do something and you know the car I'm just I'm just like an ATM, that's what it is. and you're right absolutely right, Michael and I mean I think that that actually uh, fits very well into what you said. 75% of time we're seeing our children uh, before age 14 and then that's decreasing, you know, as, a, as a age progressing. And then yet, Michael, you find the time to write a book. Why would you write a book? And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to leave the link below. Who knew from Michael Ray, you're going to be truly inspired. So Michael, why would you write a book? In all these uh, problems and, I mean, the health and the emotional and and the relationship, you know, know, being separate from your daughter, you still found the energy to write the book.
1: Murray, the book was actually written during our first lockdown. So homeschooling (laughs) had to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We we, we were locked together. So sitting next to my daughter on the um, kitchen table during lockdown. Yeah. I had a lot of the stories had been published in a lot of places. I got to speak a lot of the times. And I'd had a lot of people saying, you should write a book. And I thought, you know what? I probably should read one more than I should write one. But (laughs) I'm probably the only bloke who's written a book before he's read a full one. Yeah. Um, And it just started off from there. So we just started putting things together. I now have the most wonderful partner in the world. And um, she makes me better in every way. And she pushed and... Uh, helped, and suddenly it was it was there, and it was was received really well. Um, Maggie very Dent. very well, actually. Yeah, became a, a top ten on Amazon. Won an award in America. Maggie Dent wrote the forward for it, and it, it's opened a lot of doors. But it's also gotten a lot of great feedback from dads who did it, you know, read it, and identified with it, and it resonated. Uh, really well so and Charlie's now written her own book as well so really can you share with us
0: <laughs> more little bit about Charlie so yeah. Charlie the daughter of the Michael Ray unfortunately they've been separated for some time uh, now she's with dad and she's doing the power lifting you said right yeah. and, um, a, yeah, record and she, a record holder as well <laughs> I'm embarrassed now and uh, she has read as well she wrote the book I apologize she wrote the book as well so can you share with us more Charlie's book
1: uh, Charlie's book's called A Step in the Right Direction, and uh, she wanted to make it rhyme. So it, it's basically her recollection of my book. So it it really is monkey see, monkey do. And <laughs> That's a good one. Mario, yeah. I tell you, that yeah. nothing is, it, the best self-improvement course ever designed is becoming a parent when you realise, yes. gee, I know where that just came from. I've heard that before, and it's come out of my mouth. I've seen... Yes that reaction to disappointment before and, you know, I've modelled it. So suddenly you become very aware of what you should uh, emphasise and what you should just ignore as noise. And that's why I say to dads, you know, I always end with three questions when I do my talks. You know, it's decide what sort of dad you want to be. Decide what stories you want your kids to tell their kids and the, the final one is what are you waiting for you know it, it's just that that simple some of us are great parents because of our parents and some of us are great parents despite our parents and Murray cool I, I know your it. backstory yeah, and yeah, yeah, but... you know we definitely say yours is a despite so yeah. um mine is because I I had a, a great dad who who asked me more questions than what he gave me advice. He said, I can tell you what to do, but you know that's because I'm me and you're you. And one of the things I suggest to parents, it's not about having all the answers and giving great advice. Take that pressure off you to start with. The quality of your child's life will depend on the quality of the questions they ask. Teach them how to ask the right questions. And that's what I always say to Charlie, you know, but what do you think? You know, Charlie come home, Dad, Dad, Dad I did this. What do you think? I would say, well, but you know me, I'm biased. What do you think of it? And, yes. she, well, you know, everyone else likes it. Yeah, but what do you think of it? Well, I got this score for it. Yeah, but, Bub, do you think you would do it different? Is there what do you think would make it better? Do you think it was a good effort for a first time? Do you think if you did it again... And it's about the questions we ask because I don't want her to fall victim to peer pressure or social yes. media or the need to be liked. Um, and, Mario, I wanted to challenge everything, even me. So a lot of times I'll say no just to get that out. But at the moment I'm thinking no. Yes. But if you can convince me why it's yes, we can go there. So watch your eyes. have the
0: full right Full right. to so like I'm, I'm inviting all our viewers and listeners um, uh, grabbed the copy of the book um, who knew because it's it's not just Michael's story but it's a story for every person on this planet including the, the women you know, and not just the male but we're living in a society as Michael says in the beginning growing up in a very uh, patriarchal society very uh, alpha male driven society you know, things are changing it needs to be changed and quite often we oversee it fathers as a role as a parent or as a father being next to their child you know particularly opposite sex and uh, being looked differently so michael you know you wrote a book charlie wrote the book she holds the records you know and everything what you did so far like you know the suffering everything gone you kept the humor inside of yourself you know and i doubt that anybody can come to you uh, and so, like you know life is difficult, life is hard, and everything else. But I like to ask a different question because you're living in a, in the state of Victoria. How was it difficult to be the parent during the longest lockdown in human history?
1: The first lockdown, we could wear it, we didn't know what was going on. We believed that they had our best interests at heart. Then some of the contra indications came out. so, you could go for a walk, but you couldn't stop and sit outside. You could uh, Playgrounds were closed. Schools were closed. Just ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. When we look Not back normal, now, yet. there's no justification for it. And I understand the first lockdown, we had to get a handle on it. The information was coming from the world. This is catastrophe. We've got to do it. We weren't vaccinated. We jumped through every hoop that we're asked to do. But then the rubbish started. And then what happened was they started to um, replace moral complexity with moral certainty. So if you go out to work, you're a rubbish person. You're bad. You're harming all of society. But my family's starving. I've got to keep a roof over the head. But no, you're rubbish. But no one's supporting me. They've just locked us all in a housing tower because a few people have it. But I've got no medication. I've got no – stop complaining it's for the good of everyone else. You're a bad person. We've just seen Salman Rushdie stabbed. Stabbed.
0: Yes, that's good. That's what cancel
1: culture, that's what moral certainty does. What he said is bad and that's the outcome of it and that's what happened. And there were fringe elements. You know, we saw the desecration of the shrine, we saw the Fruit Loops with the nooses and all of those things, but they associated yeah. everyone else. If you had a differing opinion, if you had a, a need, they castigated people and made them scared to speak up. So, you know, when you know, we were lucky to start with, because we were in rural, so we had a little bit more freedom. But yes. when they were saying, you know, can't have sunsets, can't have playgrounds, can't sit on a park bench or allowed outside for one hour. They just lost it. But then they also went to the trouble of fighting uh, for the freedom of information releases. We want to see your reasons. No, 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 you can't see it. Well, if you're confident in your position and in your actions, show them why. Here's the reason why we're doing it. Not we're doing it for your good and if you argue against it, you're a bad person you're an anti-vaxxer but I'm vaxxed well so you know <laughs> I, I've had every vaccine known to man my daughter's had every vaccine everyone in my family is vaccinated but no you're yes. an anti-vaxxer if you say that you don't support lockdowns well some, someone rusty
0: I I'm I was just you know I'm I was just like you know full baghdad you know living in New South Wales and. You know, during the lockdown, you know, my family overseas and my friends from overseas, they truly asked me uh, the question, what is really going on in Victoria? Like in Australia, it's like it's not entire Australia, it's just Victoria. It's a state of uh, uh, of Victoria and the city is called Melbourne. And what was happening there, I tried to elaborate and everybody was like, you know, but, you know, all these police and the lockdowns and the media and everything else. It was difficult to anybody comprehend, and I think that this is now reflecting actually what's happening in economical uh, terms in uh, Victoria, and uh, you know less investors, less ambitions, ambitions across the world in want to come in, Aus- in Australia in the first place, which leads me to my next question. As a professional, you are very successful uh, uh, writer and you're successful presenter. You're appearing on TV and journalists. So, Michael, I have a question for you. In past two years, from day one till you know maybe a few months now, a few months ago, uh, what was happened to us that there was this connection between the news and uh, media with the people? Because what we saw, and, and I was the one of them. It was that fear factor being built by media, and most importantly, the lynch by media of the people, as you say, everybody who opposed the lockdowns or vaccinations and everything else. Why is this happen? Why the media was going into that, you know, uh, fear spree, you know, uh, campaign mm. to Mara, the
1: people. One of the um, one of the things that used to happen with journalists, journalists who used to come from working class backgrounds, not college degrees, where a lot of groupthink happens and the media used to hold the government to account without fear or favour. Then suddenly the government started to think, gee, if we had the media on side, we wouldn't get questioned as vigorously or as thoroughly. So then we started to see governments with media departments and the media department for government should only be to inform the people of what they're doing, not shape the narrative and put opposition, uh, opinion pieces and all the rest of it. So when the public started to lose faith in government, the government's ploy, I believe, was, well, let's make them lose faith in the people questioning us. So then we see the Murdoch and the Fairfaxes taking sides, trying to level out that playing field so that we see Murdoch is, we can say in Victoria, is fairly staunchly against Andrews, and now Andrews won't engage with them whatsoever. So he controls the whole narrative. Won't do media unless it's a friendly piece. They attack the messenger more than the message, and uh, Donald Trump was very good at it. Fake news, fake media, and he had his talks as supporters, and you would see people who would get all of their media, all of their information from one source, social media makes it even worse because it's an echo chamber. You click on a few and you're just fed the same narrative. This is good or this is bad. These these people are are worthwhile. These people are less than. So you actually become convinced that through that echo chamber that the opinion I hold is mainstream and therefore... I don't have to test it as much because everyone else hasn't picked up on a flaw in, in the logic. So everyone else thinks that it's correct. So I don't have to examine it any further. So I always say to people, look, get, get your media from as wide a source, listen to stuff that you don't agree with because it's like night and day. Murray on Twitter, I have two accounts, one where I've followed a few uh, conservative people and the others uh, left leaning. And it's, Seriously, like night and day, you would think it was a parody of the two. And, you know, what is overwhelming (laughs) on one, yes, 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 we're winning. This is so good. You know, they're in a minority. And the other side is saying the exact same thing. So, you know, I think the government's to blame for using the media and the media has become the puppet and has become complicit in it and therefore lost any credibility, or any moral high ground or credibility to be able to actually hold them to account. But then there's that fear of appearing wrong and uh, defending your position. Yes. And that's why I say to people, uh, I think it's a Socratic method, where instead of going, right, well, that's completely wrong. Well, no, but, well, could you be wrong about this small point? Well, yeah, I, I, I think I could. Well... Then if, if that's true, then what about this next small point? And then you can get five little yeses and then you get to the big. So overall, yes, what we're saying is that that's not correct. And they will still, no, no, it is correct because they defend the position. Like I said, you run at someone with your hands up, straight away they put their hands up and defend their thing. And it's, you know, don't take it personally if, <laughs> if you've been duped. Oh, i am not been duped because I'm not an idiot. Well, you've been duped oh no i'm not an idiot i'm a smart person well i'm not saying that you're not a smart person (laughs) but what you've been it is some lies it's propaganda that's how it works Murray. (laughs) you of all people with your background now you plant the seed and then you water it and then you let it go bit by bit suddenly it's it's the truth
0: there is a truth eh? and you know michael i'm aware all the time um, and you need to time to spend with your daughter as well. So like before we wind up this interview, because I, I, I'll need to have you again, um, if you have the one advice for the fathers to become, or the fathers right now, what would that be, your advice, to any father, with your experience? I,
1: I went off and studied developmental psychology, and even yes. with all of that knowledge, Nothing would have changed. I'm not saying I I didn't make mistakes along the way, but I knew they were mistakes at the time. So...